0: Hi, Inside the Vatican listeners. It's Colleen. We've been talking about the Vatican's report on former Cardinal Theodore McCarrick for a few weeks now. And whenever you're talking about abuse, the most important voice to hear is that of the survivors. So this week, we're talking with Juan Carlos Cruz. Juan Carlos was sexually abused as a child by one of Chile's most infamous abuser priests, Fernando Caradima. And ever since going public with his story, he's been a tireless advocate for abuse survivors and for greater accountability in the Church. Juan Carlos also has the Pope's ear on the abuse crisis. In 2018, when Francis went to Chile, he was asked about Karadima's abuse and the bishop's cover-up. Francis dismissed them out of hand and called their accusations calumny. But soon after, the Pope sent investigators to look into the Karadima case— And they came back with a 2,600-page report saying that Juan Carlos and his friends had been telling the truth. Pope Francis apologized to them, and the two have had a good relationship ever since. So this week, we're talking to Juan Carlos about the McCarrick Report and the reforms that he thinks need to happen next.
1: Welcome to the show, Juan Carlos. Oh, thank you very much, Colleen, for having me. Glad to
0: have you. So, Juan Carlos, I want for our listeners for you to just uh, give us a little bit of background on on who you are and, and how you got involved in in advocating for survivors first.
1: Well, as you said, I'm I'm an abuse survivor myself, and um, you know our, our case has been pretty famous in the news, if you will, um, where Pope Francis went to Chile. I, I live in Philadelphia, but uh, but he went to Chile. Um, and said that we were um, saying calumny about one of the bishops that had covered up all our abuse and stuff, and um, and shortly after he went back to Rome and and sent Archbishop Shakluna and uh, Monsignor Jordi Bertomeu, and they did sort of a McCarrick report, but uh, confidential, um, and discovered that everything obviously was true. Um, the Pope. Um, sent a letter saying he had made a big mistake um he had the three of us in, in with him for a few days and then he asked for the resignation of the whole bishops conference in chile and then uh after that you know things have evolved and we can talk about that if you like
0: yeah yeah, it's interesting that you drew a parallel between the report that uh, Archbishop Shakluna, who was kind of the Vatican's prosecutor in this case or investigator, um, that he drew up on your case because it was what fourteen hundred pages, right? We saw the McCarrick report last week was four hundred fifty. So these are these are huge swaths of information.
1: No, no, no. It was two thousand six hundred pages. Two thousand
0: six hundred. Goodness, I don't know where I got the fourteen hundred numbers no, from. That, but huge, huge amounts of information, and so you know, you've also seen kind of a parallel that you've talked about in other interviews um, between what you would like to see happen with your report and with the McCarrick report, right? You, you want to see these reports both become public, not just the McCarrick report?
1: Yeah, I think uh, the McCarrick report has set a very high standard um, and a pretty minimal standard at the same time uh, for justice of survivors, right? And the McCarrick report I think cannot be the only one. I think it needs to be what survivors get from now on. It can't be just, I know it takes time. I know it takes resources, but I think survivors deserve it um, and justice deserves it. And I think people should be able, not just a, a few privileged, But everybody should get a report like that.
0: Mm -hmm. Is that what you mean when you say it was kind of a a minimal standard, but also a high standard? It's high in that we haven't seen it before, but it's minimal in that it's what people deserve?
1: I agree completely, yes. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you then about, you know, it seemed like we saw sort of a significant change in in Francis. And obviously, this is me kind of trying to read into what's happening in his head. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Um, But it seems like with your case, we saw a big change in him when he had this report come back and he realized that he had been wrong to dismiss your claims. And And I can't help but see a parallel between that and when I read the McCarrick report, hearing that, you know, until 2017, Francis was hearing these rumors about McCarrick, but but never really bothered to look into them. And then as soon as one was deemed credible, all of a sudden he starts taking action, right? He, he dismisses McCarrick from ministry and then he Asked for his resignation from the College of Cardinals and then he eventually removes him from the priesthood. Do you think that there's been a change in him on on taking abuse seriously or maybe, you know, how urgent he thinks it is?
1: Well, I think um, he's always uh, taken abuse seriously, but um, unfortunately he was um, pretty misinformed by his colleagues, if you will. And that is very frustrating because... In our case, I know the cardinal in Chile, who was his friend and whom he trusted, uh, lied to him through—I mean—in every single possible way you can imagine. Um, and so, I, I feel that that Pope Francis has done a lot, um, especially since I've known him. Um, he's. Done. Vos estis lux mundi. He's um, he's uh, eliminated the pontifical secret.
0: So, Juan Carlos, let's um let's talk about some of those changes that Pope Francis has made. You know, there have been so many since 2018. It kind of feels like they they happened really fast. Um, you know, there we saw Vos estis lux mundi, which was uh, a change in church law that set in place a, a structure for bishops to be investigating each other and kind of set in place a system where you could report one bishop to another bishop, which is still this question of auto-policing, right? Um, but I think it also called for more lay folks to be involved. Um, I'm wondering, you know, what other what other changes that the Pope has made or that, you know, have been made in the U.S. Church, uh, have you seen that you've thought would be
1: useful? Well, I think um, what you just said is is right, but we need to implement it very well. To me, the lack of collaboration of bishops who uh, say yes in front of Pope Francis and yet uh, do nothing in their places where they should be doing, again, not everybody, but many. But there's so many bishops, and I saw this at the summit, that um, go to Pope Francis and they say, oh, yes, Pope Francis, absolutely, this is what needs to be done. And then they go back to the Curia or they go back to their diocese, and they it's, it remains the same, no change, no nothing. I'm not saying that that's everybody, but there's a high percentage of that, and it's very frustrating. You would think Pope Francis can do it all and can do it, and he can't because he needs the collaboration of, of these people who are not willing to do it.
0: Right. I mean, we even saw, you know, with the McCarrick report, it was really delayed and we we found out that Francis faced a lot of internal resistance to even releasing it. And so I think that's a really legitimate fear that you speak about, that, you know, not only in the case of the abuse summit in February 2019 when the Pope brought all of the world's bishops together to try to get them on the same page about abuse and brought them in to listen to survivors, but also after this report, right, that they would go back to being— less transparent, that they would go back to being so secretive. I, I think that that's a fear that a lot of us are going to be looking to see what what happens next with this.
1: By Colleen, to his credit, he did release it. And those, those who were blaming Francis of this, of that, like, for example, Archbishop Viganò, who has auto-proclaimed himself the United States Pope or something like that, it's very frustrating. And these followers of Viganò, these bishops, the one in Tyler, the one here, the one there, uh, where are they now? Have they said sorry for having insulted the Pope and and gone with Viganò's cowardly um, allegations? These were people who, like Viganò, for example, he was here in the middle of the worst of the crisis. Did he do anything? No. And now that survivors are useful— to further their agenda, they pick up survivors. But if survivors um, are not useful anymore, they'll pick up something else. And so, I hate that they use survivors as pawns or props. I hate it, and it's very evident what they're doing.
0: So, let's talk about Vigano. Since you brought him up, you're right. He used abuse claims to try to undermine Francis because he doesn't like him for for whatever reason. And we saw a group of U.S. bishops, I think about 12 of them, come out in support of Vigano. And so that is an open question. You know, we found out in this report that Vigano was actually told by the Vatican to investigate an abuse claim in 2012, and he didn't do it. And uh, yet in his, his letter that kind of sparked the McCarrick report as the Vatican's response to it, he claimed that, you know, he was kind of the only saint in the Vatican, right? He was the only one who was actually taking this seriously and actually saw McCarrick for who he was.
1: I I, I think Viganò needs to put away his um, halo and step down from his soapbox and acknowledge that he is wrong. And um, he is not only wrong in that, but he's exacerbating these conspiracy theories and stuff. But I, I, let's not veer to politics. But but in terms of what happens with survivors, I mean, um, he fuels situations with survivors and uses them. And these bishops that should be doing more seriously for survivors and being in lockstep with what Francis is trying to do, they stir away from that following, like I said, this auto-proclaimed uh, United States Pope. And, and it's just very frustrating because now survivors are important, but when he was here, they weren't.
0: Now, let me ask you, you know, we've talked about how you'd like to see these reports, similar investigations happen and be made public, uh, and that you'd like to see the resources go into those. But you talked about bishops that you want to see be in, in lockstep with survivors. What other ways would you like to see that happen?
1: Yeah, I want to start from the premise that everybody deserves justice when they've been abused or wronged in any way by uh, members of the clergy, bishops, um, cardinals, or priests, or whomever. And I think they need to take it seriously. I feel that sometimes there's abuse fatigue, and because it has gone on for such a long time, because not because of survivors, because the church has been so slow in doing something. There's a fatigue in the sense that they say, well, haven't we done so much in hurting, you know, the poor priests or poor bishops? The reputation is terrible. Well, I work in a company in a multinational and I'm in charge of, uh, you know, reputation, communications, brand and all that. And trust me, If you don't fix your brand, uh, if we could talk about the church like that, you're never going to move on, which is what we all want. But we can't move on if we don't have some sort of justice for every survivor and not for just a few.
0: Um, We know that the U.S. bishops are meeting this week. I'm wondering if there's any initiatives you'd like to see come out of that meeting in response to this.
1: I just would like to apply what there is already, but applied seriously, um, and auto policing themselves is kind of weird uh, to me. That uh, that always seems strange. I mean, because you saw in the McCarrick report. I mean, how is Theodore McCarrick? And he got these glowing letters from bishops that knew him and had even seen uh, reprehensible. Behaviors, let's say that's what they call it, but it's criminal behavior, and they did nothing. They just wrote glowing reviews about this man, and so auto policing. I don't know if I trust it.
0: Yeah, you're certainly not the only one who who feels that way.
1: Yeah, we need we need to find ways where there's a task force, an uh, independent. Uh, boards of more women, more lay people, more smart people that know what survivors go through, survivors, you know, that type of thing. Because uh, when you auto-police yourself, you're lax on certain things that you don't want to hurt a friend or you might be, you know. So I think it's important that, that we take what we have seriously, but that we implement them in smart ways so we're credible and so we find justice for survivors and so we repair the very damaged reputation that the church has. Look, I am Catholic. You know, I'm I'm no saint, of course, but 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 I who is. <laughs> but but I I I love my my faith. I'm Mary, for example, for me is just such a critical aspect of my journey towards. The Lord, if you will, I've remained Catholic through thick and thin, um, and I do want this church to to um, heal. Uh, but there cannot be healing if there's no justice. And some people say, "Well, these people want revenge." No, no, no one wants revenge. People want justice, and that is really important. It's like this. This typical example that we always give, you know, the, you have cancer in in one part of your body. They take it out, but you have to have chemo uh, or other treatments to rid yourself of of the whole cancer from everywhere, right? Um, and we're not doing that in many cases. So that's really important.
0: Yeah, you know, that's one of the things that I often find really frustrating when I'm when I'm covering this. Right? Is we often see Pope Francis take this sort of slower approach um, on abuse. Like, he'll put in place the legal systems, but he's a big believer that the more effective thing to do is to change the culture, right? Which is what we saw when we were both in Rome in 2019, when he brought all of the world's bishops to come listen to survivors, to come, you know, really learn about how this is an issue, and an issue everywhere, that that no bishop could say, oh, this doesn't happen in my area, because it does. Mm-hmm. So you know i think the question that remains is you've seen bishops then go home and and not follow through with these these orders that have been put in place but we're also seeing a vatican that's strapped for resources and you know is is less into centralizing government right and so i wonder how we how we balance these things and i don't i don't think that you are or anyone else has just a simple answer for this but i think that's a big question
1: yeah I don't have the solution, Colleen. And you're right. I do believe Pope Francis has a way of let's change culture. Let's, you know, I'll provide everything. But, you know, he can't work alone. Right. Uh, because he can't be everywhere at every single time. And he's got the weight of the world in his shoulders, too. I mean, abuse is is a horrible issue. But there's other issues that he needs to be involved. So. It falls on these collaborators that should be helping him do it. And that's where, you know, things go weird, if you will. Some do it, some don't.
0: Right. And it seems it seems unlikely that we would see, you know, something like what happened with the Chilean bishops where he brought them all to Rome and, and they all resigned, right? Like, even then, we still haven't seen a lot of those resignations be accepted. I think they're still going through a process of trying to, like, weed out who the bad ones were um that's right yeah and that's it's right. like can you do that with with the whole world's bishops yeah i just don't know no
1: i i don't think you can and another thing that um you know i've um, encountered colleen that is very frustrating when bishops try to explain them their inaction and they say to me or I, when i've been in panels or 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 somewhere else or i hear them well, you know, in the 80s, the 90s, we really didn't have protocols to um, help us deal with something like this. And to me, that is just the most frustrating thing that I can hear because we know that molesting a child, a, a boy, a girl is wrong. And like I always say, it's been wrong before Christ, after Christ, Middle Ages, 1800s, now, and it will always be wrong. So. If you don't have, as a bishop, the capacity of seeing that and taking strong action uh, to deal with that crime, what are you doing as a bishop? Please leave. We don't have room for you here.
0: Right. Your conscience should not depend on what the protocols are. Exactly. Exactly. Juan Carlos I I really appreciate being able to get your insights today and and hear your perspective not just as a survivor but as a Catholic as an advocate I I think that you offer an invaluable service to the church and and I'm grateful to have had you on so thanks
1: Th- thank you Colleen I I I love my faith sometimes it's it's better sometimes it's worse but but I love my faith I love being Catholic and I want to our church to heal but I also want survivors to get justice and I also want people to feel happy and safe in our church and so whenever I can I'm going to keep talking and I thank you and your colleagues for for having me and and helping maybe someone that's hearing us right now says oh I want to speak up and I um, and we heal we help someone heal so thank you for doing all these things
0: All right. Thank you, Juan Carlos. For ongoing coverage of the Vatican's report on former Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, visit americamagazine.org and stay tuned to Inside the Vatican. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Production assistance this week from Kevin Jackson. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. You can find in depth and up to date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at INSDE Vatican Pod. That's Inside Without the Second I, Vatican Pod. You can also email us your questions and comments at Inside the Vatican at americamedia.org. For America Media, I'm Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time.